Welcome to the Redeemer Church Podcast. Thank you for joining our sermon series in the book of Psalms. Psalms contains incredible truths about God and wisdom for life. Psalms helps us learn how to pray. It teaches us to worship through all the different seasons and emotions of life and how to walk with God daily. We hope these teachings help orient your life to love and worship Christ. Thanks for listening. Amen. Guys, go ahead and take a seat. Thank you so much, David and band, for leading us in that time of worship. If you're joining us on the live stream, we want to say welcome to you. We're glad that you can join us in that way. Uh, We hope that you can join us in person soon so that we can see your face. And for those of you who are in the room, uh, it's good to see your face. It's good to be with you uh, to worship our Lord this morning. My name is James Vallee. I'm the discipleship pastor here at Redeemer, and I'm also a church planning resident here at Redeemer. So that means I serve on staff, and we're also preparing to go plant a church, Lord willing. Uh, next, next summer, my wife and I and our four boys plan to move to Dripping Springs to plant Redeemer Dripping Springs, uh, hopefully summer of 2022. So we are very excited about that. I'm also excited to look at Psalm 84 with you this morning. So if you got your Bibles, turn with me to Psalm 84. That's where we're going to be. We're going to be looking at Psalm 84. Two weeks ago, when I got to preach, I got to preach on Psalm 51, which is a very repent, it's a psalm of repentance. So there was a lot of sin, a lot of iniquity. We were challenged and encouraged to look in our hearts and root those things out and repent. Very hard psalm, like not a fun, fluffy message to preach. Necessary, but not necessarily fun and and encouraging. Now, Psalm 84 is the exact opposite of that. Charles Spurgeon talked about both of these psalms. He said Psalm 51 is one of the hardest psalms to preach. And he said Psalm, and he said Psalm 84 is the pearl of all the psalms. In fact, he said this. This is his exact quote. He said, if the 23rd psalm is the most popular and the 103rd psalm the most joyful, and the 119th Psalm, the most deeply experiential, and the 51st Psalm, the most mournful and penitent, then the 84th Psalm is the most sweet Psalm of peace. So I'm very excited to get to look at Psalm 84 with you this morning and kind of over two weeks ago and this week, kind of get to show you this balance, this dichotomy in the Christian life. It's hard. We take up our cross daily and follow Jesus. That involves repentance and modeling that to the world. We cast ourselves on the rock that Kevin spoke about last week, and we're broken. But then this week, we get to look at the the blessing of building our lives then on that rock in communion with God. This psalm is all about the blessed life, how to live the blessed life. What does that even mean? What does it mean to be, what does it mean to be blessed? And how do we live a blessed life? If you look at blessed in the Webster's Dictionary, it says happy, favored, comfortable. So that's how Webster defines it. And we use that word in our culture. We throw it around and we use that word and and connect it to all sorts of things. Hashtag blessed. Right? If you just did, I just did a search of hashtag blessed and got to see what people consider blessings. Like, what, what, is, what does it mean to be hashtag blessed? And it was, some of the things that I found were very interesting. There was a sandwich. 
There was a, a dog in a swimming pool. There was a guy with a fresh haircut. All of those things. Hashtag blessed. We consider ourselves blessed when we get a promotion. We consider ourselves blessed when we do good in school. We consider ourselves blessed when we perform well in that game. We consider ourselves blessed when we get a new house or a new car. All of those things are fine and great, and I'm not saying they're not blessings, but they pale in comparison to the way that the psalmists describe what it means to be truly blessed. The, the, the word in the Hebrew and the Greek is actually, the definition is very similar to that in the Webster's Dictionary. To be blessed means to be favored. It means to be favored. It's very similar to being happy. But instead of comfortable, biblically it means without need. And so we're favored, we're happy, and we're, we're without need. And where it dif- differentiates in the Bible is it's, all of that flows from our relationship with God and our dependence upon Him. The word blessed occurs in the Psalms in over 41 chapters of the Psalms. It's all throughout Scripture. And actually, interestingly, I found this week the first time that it occurs is in Genesis 1. The very first chapter of the Bible, Genesis 1, verse 22, talks about God creating the animals and the, and the sea creatures and the birds of the air, and he blessed them. My cat is blessed. All you cat haters. God blessed the animals first. They were the first ones to receive a blessing. And then in chapter 1, verses 26 through 30, we see that God created man and woman, Adam and Eve, and he blessed them. And he said, be fruitful and multiply. Cover the earth with more of my image bearers. And he said, you have dominion over the earth, all of the trees of the field and all of the animals and all of the sea creatures. So they were blessed. God poured out his favor on them. And made them happy in him and in his creation. And they were without need. God provided for all of their needs. Jesus kind of flips the script when he's talking about blessed. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are broken in spirit, poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Like it doesn't seem to jive with happy and comfortable and favored. But it does. Because the people that Jesus are talking about are blessed in the exact same way and by the exact same thing that you and I are blessed with and that Adam and Eve were blessed with. And that is only a relationship with God and complete living a life in complete dependence upon him. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning is like how to live this blessed life. These psalmists explain that to us in a beautiful way. And here's kind of the main point from this from this psalm. is like, do you want to live a life that's hashtag blessed? Do you want to live a life that's full of God's favor and full of God, full of peace? It's like, who doesn't? And the main point of this psalm gives us three things or three ways that we can live this blessed life. Three elements, components to the blessed life. If we want to live a blessed life, we must dwell with God, pursue God, and treasure God. It's three things in this psalm in order to live a blessed life. So let's read the psalm together. I'm going to read through all of Psalm 84. Y'all follow along with me in uh, in your Bibles. 12 verses. It's really short, and it is absolutely beautiful. One of my favorite psalms. Verse 1. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! 
My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the shallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars. O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praises. Blessed are those whose strength is in you and in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength, each one appearing before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord our God is a sun and shield, and the Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. The Lord of hosts, O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. What a beautiful and powerful psalm. I am excited to look at it with you this morning. What I want to do is is talk briefly about the authors of this psalm, and then we're going to get into those three elements of how we can live a blessed life. So if you look in your Bible, Psalm 84, the title says, to the choir master, according uh, to the whatever that word is, a psalm of the sons of Korah. A psalm of the sons of Korah. So Korah, you can read in 1 Chronicles, Korah was appointed as a public leader, um, a chief musician, a public worship leader. He was to lead God's people in the worship of God at the tent of meeting and at the temple. It was a pretty prestigious spot. He was a worship leader, Korah. But then in 1 Chronicles 9, we read that the sons of Korah were appointed as gatekeepers. They were doorkeepers. They were doorkeepers at the tent of meeting before the temple was ever built. So up on this hill, there was the tent of meeting, and that's where God's special presence dwelled with his people. God is omnipresent. We recognize that. But his special presence dwelled with his people there. And before, they could, before King Solomon built the temple, there was a tent of meeting there. And these guys, there was four gatekeepers, and these guys were them, doorkeepers, greeters. In fact, their job was more what we would consider a custodian, or a janitor. They were, they were in charge. They were one positioned at the north, south, east, and west, and they were in charge of their, their side of the tent of meeting, making sure it was clean, making sure it was, it was orderly, welcoming people into it, dealing with all of the people that came in and out. That was their job. So custodians, janitors, gatekeepers, it's not exactly what we think of when we think of a, a, a glamorous calling but this is a glorious psalm. This psalm is a result of, of these gatekeepers, these doorkeepers, delight and enjoyment and fulfillment in their God and in their humble service for him. And this psalm just pours out of them. That these, these janitors tell us three ways that we can live this blessed life with them. So let's look at them. Number one, dwell with God. Knowingly dwell with God. If we want to live a blessed life, we must knowingly dwell with God. To dwell means to live with, to remain with, or, or to sit in. It's the same. In the New Testament, it's the word abide. 
Jesus says, if, if you abide in me, I'll abide in you. Apart from me, you can do nothing. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's, it's, it's God's presence dwelling in us and with us. I add the word knowingly to emphasize the importance that we're aware of this, that we're cognizant of this truth, this reality. That's a powerful thing to be aware of. This is what he says in verse 4. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. Ever singing your praises. The first thing, the first element of living this blessed life is to dwell with God. To knowingly dwell with God. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, God dwells in you. Through the power of his spirit. Through the presence of the Holy Spirit. As I said, Christ in you, the hope of glory. If you want to live the blessed life knowingly remain and knowingly live and operate with that understanding in place. That should affect everything that we do in our lives. If I know that God is dwelling with me, that's going to affect how I spend my money. If I knowingly just function day in and day out, knowing that God is dwelling with me, that's going to affect how I, how I use my time. That's going to affect what I do with my words. That's going to affect every area of my life the awareness that God dwells with me and that I have the privilege of dwelling with God. Notice a couple of other things about this section, verses 1 through 4. These guys, before they get to that part that says, blessed are those who dwell in your house, they say a couple of other things. I think it's fascinating. Look at, look at how they talk about the place that they work every day. Their job was to take care of their space, to take care of their space at the tent of meeting day in and day out. They would work there and they would go home and sleep and they would get up and they'd go back and they'd work there and they'd go home and sleep. And this is what they did day in and day out. You would think that would get monotonous, but listen to how they describe it. Verse one, how lovely is your dwelling place? You feel that about your workplace that you go to day in and day out? You feel that way about your house when you come home from work day in and day out. How lovely is your dwelling place? My soul longs and faints for the courts of the Lord. Verse two, my heart and flesh sing for joy when I get there. Like, these guys loved their job. They loved it because they knew that they had the privilege of dwelling with God there, regardless of how hard the work was, regardless of what the weather conditions were, regardless of who annoyed them or was rude to them on the way in, on the way out. These gatekeepers loved their job because God dwelled there. So regardless of how hard work is, regardless of how testing some people can be, regardless of how rude some people can be. We can rejoice that God dwells in us if you're a believer. And we can operate out of that understanding. And then another side note, does that make you long to be with other believers? If God dwells in me and you're a believer and God dwells in you, I want to be around you. Does that make you long to be in the presence of other believers? I want to be in this room because God, as David said, meets with us in a special way here. It's filled with people who God dwells in. It's incredible. Should make us love church. Number two, uh, look at how, uh, not the second main point. Sorry, this is another sub point. That's, the, that's how they felt about the place that they work. But then look at how they describe who's welcome to dwell with God. Who does God welcome to dwell in his presence? They said in verse three, even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she can lay her young at your altars. These doorkeepers are writing about what they see every day. Birds flocking around the tent of meeting. When the temple was built, birds flocking around in the temple, building nests and all that stuff. Have you seen the blackbirds, North Midland Drive in the loop? Think that, 
No, don't think that. That's disgusting. Um, but lots of birds. They're just describing what they saw. The sparrow represents worthlessness. Jesus said, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? In this culture, a sparrow was just absolutely worthless, and yet God welcomes them to dwell in his presence, even the worthless. Do you feel worthless this morning? There's someone in this room that needs to hear this. You feel worthless. You feel like you can't do anything right. You feel like you can't parent right. You feel like no one loves you, no one cares about you. Believer or unbeliever, God's word says that is wrong. God created you in his image. You have value. There is not a human being that's ever existed in the history of the universe that was not valuable because they're made in the image of God. And God says, I sent my son, trust in him, and dwell with me. So even the worthless can dwell with God. And then next he says the swallow. And if the sparrow is a representation of worthlessness, the swallow is a representation of restlessness. The swallow was like the crazy bird all over the place. It was just squawking and flying around and never settling down, never landing, just buzzing around until it was time to mate. Then they would mate and build a nest and settle down. So this is a beautiful picture of a lost soul wandering around in the world restless, looking for joy and satisfaction in things that will never bring joy and never truly satisfy. And then that restless soul finding its way to God and trusting in him and finding rest in his presence. It's a beautiful picture of the Christian life and what it looks like to be blessed. Are you restless? St. Augustine said this, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. And that is true. The human heart will be restless until it finds a relationship with its creator. And that is the Lord. So are you restless? Are you restless without a relationship with God this morning? God sent his son to die, to live the perfect life that you could never live. If you're restless, hear this truth. God sent his son to live and obey God perfectly like you could never, like you could never accomplish this. And then God sent his son to then die willingly as a sacrifice for your sin and your offenses against God. And then his son, Jesus, conquered sin and death and rose from the grave three days later and then welcomes all and says, come to me, all who feel worthless and all who are weary and restless. And he says, and you will find rest for your souls. So God has made a way for you to find peace and to live a blessed life. And the first way is to come into the presence of God, to dwell with God. So that's number one. To live the blessed life, we must dwell with the Lord. All different kinds of people are welcome there. The worthless, seemingly worthless, the seemingly restless. And then for the believers, be aware that God dwells in us. Be aware that the presence of God is in us day in and day out. Number two, if we want to live a blessed life, we must genuinely pursue God and godliness. Genuinely pursue God and godliness. We see this in verses 5 through 7. Verse 5 said this, Blessed are those whose strength is in you. Well, so why didn't you say number two is those who find, if you want to live a blessed life, find your strength in the Lord. Well, that's part of it. Blessed are those whose strength is, whose strength is in you, 
who completely rely on you to sustain them because in their hearts are the highways to Zion. So these are people that in their hearts, Zion was a picture of the place where God's special presence dwelt. Zion is like always kind of linked to heaven. It's like this place where there is no sin, where God is, where it's perfect. And he's saying, this psalmist is saying, the blessed life is one that is in the, their heart of hearts pursuing that place, pursuing God and pursuing to be like God. Pursuing God and godliness. And then, yeah, one commentator says this, if we make God's promises our strength, then we must make God's word our rule to live by. So it's a both and. If we're going to claim God's promises, God gives, God gives us strength. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If I'm going to claim these promises, then I must be pursuing godliness. His word must be my rule to live by. So if we're going to live a blessed life, we must pursue God and pursue godliness. And then look how he describes these psalmists. Look how they describe the, this person's life and the effect that they have on others. Number one, they bring hope. People who are genuinely pursuing God and godliness bring hope and life to desperate situations. Verse 6, as they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. Now, we don't know where the valley of Baca was, but we know it was a dry, desolate place like Odessa. <laughs> it was a dry, desolate place that was associated with tears. The valley of Baca. And these people turn it into a spring of life. So when, the pers- when a person is genuinely pursuing God and genuinely pursuing godliness and they go through hard times and they experience loss, death, tears, suffering, they're not crushed by it, but they're, they're able to bring hope and life into that situation. Number two, they complete their journey with others. They complete their journey with others. Verse seven says, they go from strength to strength, each one appears before God in Zion. So the person who's genuinely pursuing God and genuinely pursuing godliness, you're not alone. There are others. God has given you others to go on this journey with you. He says they go from strength to strength. There's a group of them going. And it says each one makes it to the destination. God ensures that each one who's on that journey appears before him in Zion. What a beautiful picture of the Christian life. As we trust in Jesus and we begin this Christian life, walking through life, walking through all of life's challenges, God God not only gives us encouragement and strength from himself, but he gives us others to encourage and strengthen us along the way. And he ensures, he promises, I hold you in my hand, you will appear before me in Zion. It's beautiful. That is the blessed life. Is your life characterized by pursuing God? Would the people closest to you, if they were asked this question, would they say, oh yes, his or her life characterized by pursuing God? Is your life characterized by pursuing godliness? If the people closest to you were asked, is this person's life characterized by pursuing godliness, what would they say? That's the second part of living a blessed life. First, we dwell with the Lord. We must dwell in his presence, and then we must pursue him more and pursue godliness. And then lastly, 
We must treasure God. If we want to live a blessed life, we must spend our lives treasuring God, treasuring and trusting God. Because the psalmist ends it with the word trust. Blessed is the one who trusts in you. But then before that, he spends some time telling us why God should be treasured and why he should be trusted. So verse 12, he says, O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. So it's like he ends there. He ends the psalm there. It's the last thing. He's like saying, after analyzing all of these things, after thinking about all of life, the only thing that really matters, the, 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 the most important point that we can get is just trusting God. Trusting God. And I would add to that, treasure him. Because they tell us before that why he should be treasured above all else. And number one, they give us two reasons. Number one is that God satisfies Only God satisfies. Only God can satisfy the human soul, the longest, the deepest longings of the human soul. He says it in this way, verse 10, for a day, one day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper, a janitor, the lowliest of lowlies in the house of my God than to dwell and be welcomed by and celebrated in the tents of wickedness. They're declaring that it's far better to live one day in relationship with God than a thousand apart from him. They're saying it's better to be poor and lowly and unknown to the world and yet known by God than to be a billionaire CEO known by everyone and not known by God. So the question for us, they're saying, yeah, they're saying you're more blessed if you, if you suffer physically and are stripped of everything, all of your earthly possessions, and no one knows you. You're unknown. You die unknown, but you know God. That person is more blessed than the one who has all the possessions in the world, all the relationships in the world, all the power, all of the praise from others, but yet is far from God. So do you believe that? This is a question that wrecked me this week. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? We need to stop and ask ourselves that question, especially young people in the room, students. Do you believe that it's better to not have anything, to lose those friends, to not be good at that thing and not be accepted in that circle? And yet know God, it's better, it's better to know God and have God alone than it is to be accepted and athletic and, and praised by others. Like, do we really believe that? Even for us, do we truly in our heart of hearts believe that knowing God, like in God, is the only place where satisfaction can be found? I think that's a, like I said, that's a real question for for me to think about. I was very excited about this passage of Scripture this week, and God flipped it on me as I was studying. Versus, uh, when I was from ages 17 to 27, if you would have asked me if I was a Christian, I would have said yes. If you would have, I knew the right answers to say. If you would have asked me what's the most important thing in the world, I would have said, knowing God, duh. But I wasn't. I was far from God. If, if someone would have asked me where can a human being find the most satisfaction? I would have said, God, duh, like in knowing God. But yet I, was, I did not believe that. I did not live like that. 
So I lived and pursued joy and satisfaction in all of the things of the world, and they did not deliver. I dwelled in the tents of wickedness, literally. Anybody else dwell in the tents of wickedness? It doesn't have to look like my life. Whatever your life looked like before you knew the Lord, whatever idol you were pursuing that was enslaving you, can you say, praise God, thank you for delivering me from that. God better is one day in relationship with you than a thousand of those other days that I lived pursuing joy and satisfaction in the world. Can you say that? Amen. I can say that. Can I? Every day? Because if you're like me, sometimes it creeps back in and you start to think, well, it's kind of satisfying to spend money over here. It's kind of satisfying if I actually do this. Yeah, I believe that, that God is the only thing that can truly satisfy my soul, but I don't spend any time with him. So really by my life, I'm showing that I'm not satisfied in him. So God, help us to fight that lie that satisfaction can be found in anything but you. Help us to know that you are to be treasured because only you can satisfy. Second, he tells us that God should be treasured and trusted because of God's character. God is to be treasured because of who he is. Look at how they describe who God is. The Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. This is the only place where God is called a sun in Scripture. And I think it's because, like the sun, without him we have no life. And not only that, God illumines our mind and lights up our mind so that we can see our way and we can see Christ. God is called a son. He's also called a shield as we're going through this journey to spend eternity with him. He's protecting us. He's holding us in his hand. He's a shield protecting us from our enemies and ourselves. And it says, no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. This isn't prosperity gospel. This is Romans 8, 28. He works all things together for good for those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. What an incredible God. That's the character of our God. That is why God is to be treasure, treasured and trusted above all other things. So if we want to live a blessed life, we must treasure this God. Martin Luther, as he reflected on this psalm, wrote, Let the world have their rich ones, their powerful ones, their wise ones, let their comfort and their comforts in this world. Let them trust in glory and their wisdom and their might and their wealth. My heart treasures and triumphs in the living God. May that be true of our lives. So people be encouraged. We can live the hashtag blessed life. We can. God tells us how. This isn't all there is to the blessed life, but this is three components of it. A psalm tells us we must knowingly dwell with God, pursue him in godliness, and treasure him above all else. And that is what it means to live a blessed life. So let me end with this. Are you far from God? I want you to know that you're blessed this morning. Look at how blessed you are. In God's providence, he brought you to this place or to click this link online to hear his word so that you could have the opportunity to trust in Jesus and dwell with him forever. If you're far from God, I would plead with you to do that today. As I said, God sent his son to die for you 
so that if you trust in Him, completely in Him and His work, not in your work, that will leave you restless and feeling worthless, but in His work, He will save you, and you'll be welcome to dwell with Him and live this blessed life. And for those of you who in the room who have trusted in Jesus, look how blessed we are. Look at how blessed we are. The living God dwells in us and with us. Let's encourage each other to be aware of that. Let's encourage each other that in Him we live and move and have our being. Let's encourage one another towards God and godliness. Let's sharpen each other as we walk through this life together, as we go from strength to strength. Let's encourage each other. And then let's remind each other of who God is and why He is to be treasured and the fact that He is the only thing that will satisfy our souls. Let's do this together. Let's give our lives to living this blessed life together. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now just grateful for who you are. God, just grateful for this psalm. God, elements of it challenge us. Let elements of it challenge us, God. But God, I help it to bring us peace. Knowing that we dwell in your presence, knowing that while we pursue you and pursue Christ-likeness, you give us strength for that. And you give us brothers and sisters in Christ to encourage us along the way. God, help us to be grateful for that. God, help us to treasure you. God, when the world comes and Satan tempts and whispers that lie that this thing or that thing is actually going to bring more satisfaction, God, help us not to believe that. Help us to know and to trust and to always live in this knowledge that you are the only thing that can satisfy our soul. You are the only one who's to be trusted and depended on. God, I pray that if there's someone in here that doesn't know you, you would show them that. You would show them their sin this morning and then show them Christ crucified on their behalf. God, we love you and we thank you that we have this opportunity to live this life and to be blessed by you. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Church. If you want to connect with us at Redeemer, we would love for you to visit us at a service in person or visit us online at RedeemerMidland.org.